If you have your Bible, would you turn with me to John chapter 15? And I'm going to read from verse 1 through to 10. I'm reading from uh, the uh, NIV, New International Version of the Bible. And I believe it's in your bulletin if you don't have your Bible or it's on the uh, screen behind us. And this is what the Word of God says. I am the true vine and my Father is the gardener. He cuts off every branch in me that bears no fruit, while every branch that does bear fruit he prunes, so that it will be even more fruitful. You are already clean because of the word I have spoken to you. Remain in me. Some translations will say, abide in me or dwell in me, and I will remain in you. No branch can bear fruit by itself. It must remain in the vine. Neither can you bear fruit unless you remain in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. If a man remains in me and I in him, he will bear much fruit. Apart from me, you can do nothing. And if anyone does not remain in me, he is like a branch that is thrown away and withers. Such branches are picked up, thrown into the fire, and burned. But if you remain in me and my words remain in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be given you. This is to my Father's glory that you bear much fruit showing yourselves to be my disciples. As the Father has loved me, so have I loved you. Now remain in my love, and if you obey my commands, you will remain in my love, just as I have obeyed my Father's commands and remain in His love. This morning is a unique message for me. It is an opportunity that I have taken to maybe not preach as I would normally do. And I'm not referring to the length. Uh, but to share with you maybe contextually and scripturally what I believe is important for us as a church as a way of both reflecting on our past and looking forward to our future. As a foundation and a guide, I, I thought of John 15 as being a rather meaningful passage of scripture. Last week, uh, Pastor Jeff reflected on this and hinted that both of us have been talking intently about John 15 and what it says to us about Christian community, what it says to us about what is important about who we are and to be as a church. This morning, I think it is a vital scripture for us. It is a scripture that is at the heart of the Christian life, and it is an imperative scripture for you and me. I believe it teaches us what matters most. And therefore, by implication, not only individually, but for us as a church, who we are to be. There is no, un there's no denying that when you look at John 15, the first and foremost reality that should grip you is the centrality of the vine. The vine is both directly connected to the gardener, the gardener has a relationship with the vine, and the vine is most directly connected to the branches. For those of you who are wannabe arborists, gardeners, vine dressers, I don't know. You know, when, when I was in, when I was in, 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 uh, in South Africa uh, a couple of years ago now, uh, I, I, I talked to the guy who was doing the gardening at the Seed of Hope, and I think this is how he conveyed it. He says, gardening here is just about cutting back. Because things just grow. I mean, it just grows there. But gardening certainly here in Calgary is a little different. You know, we, we struggle to get some stuff growing. And you've got to figure out what to do and, 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 and how to get things growing. But, but the scripture speaks about the vine and the centrality of the vine. 
The vine is so imperative that if the branches are not healthily connected to the vine, that it cannot produce any fruit. If, if, I, if I was to reflect on some of the core, the core, not some, but the core issue for us as a church, I would say this. It is the centrality of Jesus Christ to us. He must be our source of life. He must be the one to whom we turn. He must be the vitality that feeds our heart. He must be at the center of our individual lives if He is to be at the center of our community life. He must be our greatest treasure. He must be the one that possesses the first rights to our life. He must be the one that is dominant in terms of our values and our desires. He must be our greatest hope, our greatest treasure. I've said to you several times in different messages the same thing. And some of you have figured out that I preach the same message. I just use different texts. But I have to say again this morning that as I think about who we are as a church, let us not forsake the centrality of Jesus to who we are. This morning is He, the centrality of your life, He says in this particular scripture that apart from Him, we can do nothing. I want you to let that soak in. This statement challenged me deeply as I realized the implications of what Jesus is saying to His followers. Because this John 15 is all about the followers of Jesus. Our greatest plans, our greatest designs, our hopes, our dreams... That for our church cannot happen according to His glory and for His sake if our lives are not connected directly to Him. If we are not connected to Him consistently and intentionally, our very best efforts, our greatest hopes will not come to pass. So with Jesus as the center of this Christian community, of this church, of Skyview Community Church of the Nazarene, I I want to challenge us in specific ways. I I want you to think about how Jesus becomes central in your personal life and how He can become central and continue to be central to who we are as a church. The first and most important part or place to start is with the relevance of worship. Eugene Peterson, one of the authors that I enjoy listening to and reading, says this. He says, Christian worship is an intentional act of redressing the proportions, the priorities, from me working for God to God working in me by His Holy Spirit. Evelyn Underhill writes concerning worship. She says, I feel the regular, steady, docile Practice of corporate worship is of the utmost importance for building up of your spiritual life. No amount of solitary reading or prayer makes up for the humble immersion in the life and worship of the church. Worship, corporate worship in particular, is to love God and to love others and to allow both the love of God to flow through us to others. It is a gift to the believing church and it is the gift to the individual Christian. The gift of God's love set within community and essential to our individual and relational health. 
I've recently had conversations with people who have spoken to me about whether services and church are still a relevant thing. Do we still need to gather, they ask. Why do we gather, they ask. I think there is a deep and meaningful reason for us to worship together throughout history, throughout time, from the formation of the early church, they gathered. They didn't have buildings like we necessarily do today. They didn't need all the structures that we did. They met in homes. They met in public places. They met wherever they could because they recognized the centrality of worship to shaping and creating within them a sense of who they are in Christ. Worship is not what we do from the platform, folks. Worship is not something that we do to you. Worship is the design of God for all who know Him personally. And it is the consistent invitation to align our priorities with the values that matter most. If I want to say this in different ways, I can try. But I want to say it as simply as I can. Do not devalue As some has done, the coming together of God's people in relationship to Him and with one another. Come with expectation to the house of God. Come with expectation that we do not just perform songs and and maybe on a given Sunday may hear a a earth-shattering message. We do not just come so that our kids can get a good lesson in morality. We come because we worship the ultimate worthy, the ultimate person who is worthy of worship. For every day of our life, we are tempted to worship that which does not hold ultimate worth. We must come to worship Him. We must come together. We must sing praises. We must confess our sins. We must hear His Word. We must immerse ourselves in His Spirit. As a church, we have over this past year moved closer to the center of worship. We have been intentional and practical. We have worked hard to increase our clarity in Sunday morning worship. We are still not quite there. I don't think you ever get to the point where everything is going perfectly. In a recent service, as I was sitting and, 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 and someone was speaking, I heard feedback come from the speakers. And I thank the Lord quietly that we are not the only church that have some of these things happening. Certainly, worship is not about being perfect. The effort and the intention put into our worship practices, uh, purchase of equipment, sound, is not done so as to perform better and to impress us as a congregation. But it is done with a deep conviction that worship to God matters most to a church. We want to do all we can that this time together conveys its intended purpose. Therefore, I challenge us to consider corporate worship Not as something that is done for us, something which is irrelevant, but the intentional and humble immersion along with brothers and sisters in Christ in the living and indwelling presence of God. Worship shapes our lives. It reminds us of who He is. Amidst all the other things that we could do, let us choose to spend time together as the believing community in the house of God. I I want to take some time just to thank everyone involved in corporate worship. 
who have given up their time, their talent to this vital part of our church's life, those who put out signs, those who make coffee, those who fix the chairs because Stu is perfectionist and likes the right angles, those who play instruments, those who lead worship teams, those who are on worship teams, those who do sound, those who do visual, every part of what happens on a Sunday, all of you who have contributed to this, I thank you from the bottom of my heart. We could not do what we do without your help. With the ushers, those who serve and greet and welcome people, thank you. May you be reminded today that we do this not for Stu, as likable as I am. We don't do it because we don't have other things we do. We do it because we recognize to whom we are giving our time. We, we do it because we are so thankful for Jesus Christ. We do it because he has given us so much. Let us not forsake the coming together of the people of God and the relevance of corporate worship. The second and most important, second to, the, to worship and also equally important, is the significance of the word of God to us as a community of faith. In our narrative... Two branches are defined, two types of disciples. The first disciple is defined as a branch that is somehow attached but is dead. This branch has the form and the appearance of being attached but really is dead. And according to Jesus in the parable, in the, in the metaphor, he says that at some point the gardener is going to come and cut that branch off. The biblical narrative uh, informs us as to what is in mind here. Uh, just prior to this, Jesus washed the feet of the disciples. And in that particular action, in that time of being together with them, uh, he, he, he mentioned and he revealed that someone was going to betray him. He was speaking, of course, of Judas. Judas was a part of the community. He was a part of the disciples. He followed. He went where they went. He did what they did. He was, even, he was so trustworthy and I'm not saying anything about Jay at, at this present moment, but he was so trustworthy that they made him the chairman of the finance committee. He held the money purse. And the scripture tells us in John's gospel that, that, that Jesus, when he was eating with them, he, he said that as he was dipping in the bread you know, and, and about to serve, he says, the person I'm going to give this to, he, he's the one who's going to betray me. The disciples, I don't know if they were just unclear as what Jesus said, but they don't really grasp what's going on. But it is this man, this man who was a part of all things and yet was truly not connected to Jesus that would sell him for money. I think Judas reveals what can come of a disciple who does not allow the words of Christ, the person of Christ, to take root of their hearts. And how easy it is to look the part but not really be connected to Jesus. I think Judas has the potential to rear his head in most of our lives. And maybe he is a strong warning. Maybe it is a challenge today to ask ourselves whether we are having the form but not the life. Whether there is vitality or whether we are just by association here. But there's also a second branch. This branch, according to scripture, produces fruit. But it's interesting to me that the fruit-bearing plant, the fruit-bearing branch, is not left alone. Uh, these branches... Though they produce fruit, are still being cut at, 
pruned, for those of you who like that word, by the gardener to increase their capacity to produce even more fruit. You know what Jesus says in John 15 about the role or what prunes us? He says the words of Jesus prunes our life. The word of God is like a gardener pruning, cutting, removing so that more health and more fruit would come from us. In our church, the Word of God, and we attempt, both Jeff and I and those who we invite to share the privilege of preaching, those who teach in small groups, those who are involved with our children. We just had a great meeting uh, just recently about our children's ministry and talked about intention with them and how we want to teach them the big picture story of God and how we want more for them than just morality. We want to teach them about this great God who loves them and invites them to participate in His work. We want to be a church of the Word. And if we are to be a church of the Word, then on Sundays when you come, you must anticipate, as I do, that God has something to say to me. Not just that which is convicting necessarily, but when He does speak, His words still have the power to reveal to us the things in us that must change. The things in us that keeps us from fruitfulness. The things in us that we must allow Him to deal with. You know, uh, uh, the Apostle Paul says to Timothy that, that all Scripture is God-breathed and is useful for teaching, for rebuking, for correcting, for training in righteousness, so that the servant of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. In our denomination, we have been strongly influenced by a gentleman named John Wesley, a theologian and scholar, Albert Outler, in a collection of Wesley's works edited by him, defined what Wesley believed shaped a Christian and a community. They call it the Wesleyan quadrilateral, and I could not help but include that in here for those of you who are academic inclined and have studied this. Now that you are sufficiently impressed, let me tell you what it is. Obviously, quad means four. You didn't know I'm that smart. Wesley said that there are four things that shapes Christian community, Christian life, Christian understanding, scripture, tradition, reason, and experience. And the one criticism that people have had ever since Wesley's uh, since Outler has taken this and given it this fancy name, is that people would tend to think that these are equal parts of a whole. And what Wesley truly had in mind and what the Bible truly teaches us, that all of Christian life first founds its foundation in what God says in His Word. We begin with His Word. We begin with what he says is true, what he says is right, what he calls us to. Let me be honest with you, to live as people of the word is not easy because the word very often time reveals what is not there. I remember the narrative in the Gospels in which the disciples, after being in Jerusalem, going to Bethany, wakes up hungry. They walk with Jesus and they pass a fig tree. You remember the narrative? I think you do. You're shaking your head or are you just nervous that I'm walking towards you? And as, as they walk back to Jerusalem, they see this tree that had the appearance of bearing fruit. In fact, I think some scholars, if I remember this right, because I studied this so long ago, suggested that it would have been the season of fruit bearing. 
And so they had every right to believe that this fig tree would have figs. But as Jesus nestled his hands through the appearance of a fruitful tree, he found nothing and he condemned the tree and it died. There is something significant about what the scripture teaches us this morning. It is something that is revealing, exposing almost. But can I tell you this? That when we feel that vulnerable, when we feel that convicted, the best place to be is in the church. Oh, that we would not be ones who condemn. You know, I, I like the scripture because the scripture says the gardener takes care of that which does not grow. I don't, I, I don't, I don't trust myself to know. But if God is doing his work in the church, if his word is, is, is moving and revealing and exposing and challenging us, may it be with others who long for the same thing that we long for, to see God produce in us the things that brings him glory. It has been my ongoing conviction and desire to have our church be a community in which the word of God is preached, taught, shared, and lived. We ought to be a people of the book, shaped by its message and led by its spirit. But enough about what we hope to do from here. I want to encourage and challenge you to consider the primacy of the word of God to your personal, individual, day-to-day Christian identity. I challenge you to not allow the Bible to collect dust. If you don't understand it, find someone who can help. Let me ask some piercing questions. This is a report, yes, but also a message. Amen? What have you heard from God through His Word recently? Where have you meditated? Where has revealed to you your reluctance to follow Him? Where have you been encouraged from Scripture? And where have you used Scripture to encourage others? I was talking to Paul Knudsen, who's a professor here at Rocky Mountain Bible College. And we were sitting in Wendy's. Great place to have theological conversation. Paul just comes across as someone who knows far more than me. So I've learned to be rather quiet and attentive in our conversations. As we talk a little bit about biblical education and knowing the Bible, out of the words of probably one of the more gracious people that I know, so incredibly humble, he doesn't know how smart he is, came these words. He says, Stu, he says, at the end of the day, I think the problem we're running into in practice comes from a lack of people knowing his word. I encourage us to not put all of that on Sunday mornings. I encourage you as a church to recognize that you cannot just get your biblical spiritual formation here. We have busy schedules. We have demands. We have things that we must do. But let us not forsake the Word of God. It's essential to us, important for us. And I encourage you 
to find time for it. The imperative, critical importance of worship and the Word of God, and, and then also uh, maybe what the Scripture really, and the best way I could articulate it was to borrow uh, a phrase from a book that I recently gave to our leaders. The Scripture encourages us to live from the inside out. It is impossible to read John 15 and to not recognize that fruitfulness is desired and more significantly expected. This point is made incredibly clear because branches that are unproductive, that fail to produce, are cut off. It's harsh, it's terrible, it's final. They are cut off. And even the fruit-bearing branches are pruned in order to bear even more fruit. You know, the, the fruit of the tree is a gift, you know. When, when a tree has fruit, it does not have fruit to be cannibalistic and eat its own fruit. Now, as I thought this through, I thought to myself, some smart aleck here is going to tell me there is a tree that consumes its own fruit. And if that is true, you just be quiet right now. <laughs> Trees that produce fruit do not self-consume. We exist not only for our own personal sense of fulfillment. While we are the church, we understand our existence is significant in relationship to Christ who gave His life away. But if we are to be connected to this vine, if we are to be connected to Jesus, then literally speaking, the very DNA that was in Him should be in us. And there is not a more selfless example than Jesus. We become like Him in every way. This is essential for us as we think about our identity, as we think about our future, as we think about how we spend our, 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 our money, as we think about how we give our talents. Let us remember, folks, that those attached to the living branch, those attached to the living vine, those attached to Jesus Christ have the very selflessness of the love of God in them. We learn to think about others. We learn to give away. We do not exist to pad our financial statements. We do not exist to be stingy. We do not exist to be so overwhelmed with life that we cannot live as gracious people without time and our resources. As a church, we have been doing this over this past year. We have given financially. We have used the resources God has given us to support community development in South Africa to help with those working with the least of these. We have collected food hampers. You have been generous for the Calgary Food Bank. We have given money to various individuals and families in times of need and crisis. Did you know that through our investments as a church, in ministry as a local church, our denomination, who we continue to support as well, carries on the work of evangelism, of sending missionaries, of compassionate care, and even disaster relief. We have given financially to support the ongoing work of Christian education through one of our local schools right here in the city. We have supported our own people as they have engaged in missions in other countries. But many of you have been a blessing to others that go unnoticed. Some of you have taken the time to mentor others. Thank you. Thank you. You know, investing in someone else's life, it requires time. 
It requires intentionality. I, I was talking to, uh, to Joel as he was crushing me in squash uh, uh, just a while ago. And as I laid there heaving, wondering if I will live, thinking of how, how terribly embarrassing it would be to have my eulogy include that I died on a squash court. I spoke to him about when I was younger and when I was a, at least in my perspective, it's funny how you look back and everything is different, right? But when I was younger and I was just an amazing athlete. I thought to myself, Joel, I would have played so much better. And then I, I reached for some memories. I remember when I played volleyball and I played, this is me bragging now, just forgive me for this moment. I played national club level volleyball. I, I was that, no, I, I was lucky. I uh, went to tryouts for the first provincial team that I was interested in playing for, and, 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 and here's what happened. I, I, I played real well. I had all the skills. I could hit the ball. I was a good utility player. I, 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 I was in position. I worked hard. I was great defensively. Did all the things that I needed, and in my mind, it was a no-brainer, you know? Uh, uh, they, they, they did the first cut. I made it, and I was like, yeah, of course. I'm going all the way, you know? And the final cut, they cut me. And I remember I was just incredibly devastated. Anybody been cut from a team where you kind of just go, I can point five guys out that can't play half as good as me. <laughs> you know, you, you feel my pain. You know what I'm talking about. And I remember one of my friends, he wasn't very helpful. He came to me, he says, this sucks. He says, you're so good. It didn't help me. In fact, it just made me more angry, more upset. You know what happened? Over the years, I look back at that moment. I look back at that moment, and I realized a few things. I realized first that I was such an individual player that my need to be good got in the way of what was best for the team. If I made a mistake, you knew it. Everybody knew it. They could see it. It wasn't until years later where somebody came alongside me and said, you know, Stu, and sometimes it's really hard to pour into people's lives and be honest with them. Amen. Can I get a witness? We don't always leave feeling blessed. Man, that was great. Thank you for telling me how bad I am. And they just said, you know, Stu, a part of being a team is lost when it's just about you. Over the years, I've had different people, maybe with more serious opportunities to speak into my life to teach me things, to show me, to help me, to grow me. Don't be fooled to think that your Christian life is just you. Some of us need those words. Some of us need someone to, to, to be a blessing to us, to, to take the risk of coming close. You can't program that in a church. You can't, you can't budget for that. It, it just has to happen with people who are so connected to the vine that they go, I, I, I want to be that person. I want to be that person. You can't do it for everybody, but you can start with some. And I just thank God for some of you, some of you who have done this. I want to thank you, the church here at Skyview, for your faithfulness in financial giving. You have been a blessing. Listen, can I say this? And I don't say this that you would stop giving, okay? But I say this with all sincerity. Since I have been here for the last, going on four years in September, yeah, you didn't think I would last that long, right? But here I am, four years, take that. (laughs) I have not once, I have not once, have to plea and beg. I've not once had to say, folks, 
We need to step it up. You know what I believe? I believe people give to something they believe in. And if you're able to give and you've been giving, I say thank you. I know what it's like to have kids. I think, I think one of our kids broke his glasses three times in the last six months. Do you know how expensive glasses are? I know that you work hard. But I think it reveals that you understand that all that we have comes from a generous God. And we can bless because we've been blessed. Thank you. Thank you that this does not stand as a hindrance in our church. It is not something that, 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 that forces agendas. But we can. We can function and dream and think ahead because you are being faithful in giving to the work of God. But you would be ill-informed and I would be making a grave mistake if I did not speak about the other part of living from the inside out. Equally significant is that fruitfulness is the outcome of that which is not as easily noticeable. Branches that produce fruit do not do so by their own effort, but rather because of their connectedness to the vine. The connectedness of the branch of the vine is referred to in different translations. It's referred to as abiding, remaining, dwelling. Hence, churches that have vitality and health are churches who remain connected to Christ. The Scripture says this. It says, remain in me as I also remain in you. No branch can bear fruit by itself. It must remain in the vine. Neither can you bear fruit unless you remain in me. It is important this morning that we recognize what Jesus is saying. The beginning, the starting place to having a healthy church is not in our doing, but it is in our abiding. That is why we place emphasis on the spiritual, the interior life. I spoke at the convocation of uh, our Rocky students, and this is a shout-out to all of them that graduated and did well. God bless you. And uh, as I spoke to them, I was given a scripture from Jeremiah 17 that speaks about a tree planted by the river. I thought about them as they graduated, and I thought to myself that the inclination would be, because I know some of them rather well. They are talented. They are gifted. They are able. They are passionate. Oh, it's so good to have people like that. They, 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 know, they know God has a plan for their life and they will pursue it. But, but I said to them, if there's anything to be taken from this agricultural metaphor, it is this, that it is not in your doing, but it is in your attachment to Jesus that the most meaningful, fruitful life will flow. Do you know why? Some of us lack the consistency and the persistency in our faith. It's because we've tried to force the fruit without abiding in Him. Skyview is not a program-driven church. And I would like to say to you today that that's by theological design. No, it's just been our history. We, I inherited that. There was not a lot going when I got here. But I started to realize the gift in that. I still feel the pressure, though, right? Especially when I go to another church and I read all the things they're doing, I'm going, oh, man, 
how do they do how do they do all this stuff that's what i think you know and i think there's a gift in simplicity there's a gift in not being an overprogrammed church you know there's a gift right come on let's be honest i mean our lives are busy we don't just live church we don't just live christianity in the walls or in the programs of the church and there's a gift in that there's a simplicity to that there's a grace in that I think, I think that you need to hear from your pastor, from one of your pastors, that, that this is a significant feature of our church. But let us not think of abiding as passivity and as something which has no impact or effect. Because when we place significance on abiding, we are church that ask of its adherents, its members, its followers, its participants to participate deeply in the life that God has called them to live. We ask that you would be a person of worship, a person of prayer, a person of the Word. We ask that you would think in terms of the other. Think in terms of how the day-to-day life that you live in the hands of God can be meaningful beyond measure. Abiding requires intentionality in order to remain vital. I've spoken about worship, I've spoken about the Word, but I equally want to encourage you to recognize that though there's not tons of programs that we offer, that our church does not exist to be all things to all people. In fact, as we move forward, and I say this quite honestly, some people may not like it because it doesn't meet their perceived needs. But if I can be very, very honest with you, we don't exist to make ourselves happy. We exist to abide and to grow deep in the love of Christ so that our lives extend His grace in every area. We can't program a spiritual life. But when he returns, he will measure our lives. And he will reveal what has been true. Listen, we long to see our children, our youth grow up in Christ and live abiding lives. Over the past year, I've been privileged to walk alongside some of you and to witness growth and see fruit come from your lives. I'm reminded that often that God is at work in many lives beyond our ability to measure and discern. I I know that God is working in your life. Some of you are in the desert right now. Some of you are feeling dry. Some of you have faced some tremendous pains that no one else knows about. Some of you have been going through the valleys. Some of you are experiencing the joy of new life and new relationships. But let me say this to you. I have discerned enough about the working of God to know this, that He is working in lives in our community. We may not be perfect. We may not have a lot of stuff. We may need to figure out things to come. But a church that abides in Christ can be assured of this, that God is always at work in them. I would also like to challenge you to take personal responsibility for your vitality. To take personal responsibility for your vitality of faith in your home and with your family. I believe that as a church, our position ought not to be to try and do all things for ourselves or for you but to partner with you as you do the work of shepherding, of leading, of growing, 
of setting example in your home with your spouse, with your children. I believe that there has to be a church at home. There has to be a ministry at home. There has to be conversations between husbands and wives about spiritual things, between brothers and sisters about what God is saying and doing. There must be an example in the home without children. There must be Jesus at the center of each relationship that is meaningful and is going somewhere. I challenge you as the church to become an abiding church. And then finally, and all God's people said, Amen. Okay, I've got more. I can stretch it out. Thank you. <laughs> I don't know what that amen meant, but anyway. Verse 7 says, If you remain in me and my words remain in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. Prayer. Did you know that scripture speaks about prayer? Ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. Much fruitfulness comes from the life of the person in the church who abides in Christ. And one such outcome, according to this particular text, is answered prayer. Never saw that before. I, I actually had to rely upon the comments of a scholar to actually see the simplicity and power of it. In a book entitled Shift, as I referenced earlier, How Nine Churches Experience Vibrant Renewal, said the title, one unifying and critical aspect in church renewal was that each church became a praying church. It is interesting that in our text, Answered prayers are set within the context of those who abide in Christ. It makes me wonder whether one can pray outside of abiding. We do know that you don't have to believe in God to pray. I remember once having a conversation with a young lady as I was with some youth pastors and talking about religion. And uh, we asked the question, do you believe that there is a God. She said, I don't know if there is a God, but I do pray. We thought, that's interesting. We said, who do you pray to? She says, I kind of pray and hope that someone is hearing. But the scripture teaches us that prayer that comes out of those who are attached to the source of life, the vine, dare we be bold enough to believe that those prayers will be answered. It is, of course, not about whatever we want. So, you know, when we read the Scripture, we tend to be literalist, and we, we tend to interpret it as meaning, okay, so if you tell me how to abide and I pray, then God will give me that Volvo S40 that I want. Hint. But the Scripture that I read resolves in saying that all of this is to the glory of God. You know, the kinds of prayers that comes out of abiding is kingdom prayer. There is nothing wrong with asking God to meet our needs, to fix our lives, to solve our problems. But this prayer is about fruitfulness. It is about transformation. It's the kind of prayer that says, God, teach me to follow you so that others would be blessed. It is the kind of prayer that prays, may your kingdom come, may your will be done, may your priorities become mine, may my life be centered on you. 
We continue to meet for prayer as pastors. Every week, Jeff and I pray together and Malena. Sometimes we have to really force Malena to pray, but we do. Hold her down. No. We pray for you by name. I, I want you to know that. We all want you to know that we pray for you. We pray for your children. We pray for you as a family. Do you know your pastors are praying for you? You may not see me, but I'm praying every week, Tuesday mornings, we're praying. Every week, Thursday mornings, we're praying. We're praying that God would lead you, guide you. Sometimes we pray for the things you are going through that we know. Sometimes we pray for what we don't know, that God would be there. We continue to meet on Sunday mornings, and in the year ahead, we're going to look for more intentional times of community-wide prayer. Not quite the report that I've heard at pastor's report times, but the stats and the details and the numbers you will hear, and they are too a blessing in just a short while. This coming year, I look forward to what God has in store. In the coming months, we will be entering into conversation as a church family concerning our future. We believe God has a future for us. Uh, Jeff and I and our church board and our ministry leaders have begun the work of answering this question, this very vital question, and with this I close. Where does God want us to be five years from now? All parts of the question are essential. Where does God want us to be? Not our cousin Bob, not me, not you. What does God want? What does God want us, us, to be? I believe that as we participate together as a church in answering this question, as we look ahead, that God will certainly lead us. I want to conclude by thanking you. I want to start by just thanking our church board. You who are on the church board knows how much work it has been. You have given of your time. Thank you. You have been prayerful. You have considered decisions. You have said hard things and challenging things at times that I've needed to hear it and that board, the other board members needed to hear it. You have participated by taking on responsibilities, by extra meetings, by sacrificing of your time for your children, for all who have served on the board, not only this year but in years past. Thank you. I thank our finance committee. A lot of work goes into finance. And i got to tell you, when I look at finances, I get like this, just this dull pain all over me. But thank God for people who get excited about numbers and who are good at it. Our finance committee has done an incredible job, and you will hear of that if you stay for the potluck, like an incredible job of leading us and being responsible. I want you to know our church is being responsible with what it receives. Your money is not wasted. It is accounted for. It is put to good use. I want to thank you as a finance team, each one of you, I want to thank our property committee, and I know this now sounds like a speech, but this is so important. Our property committee has spent tireless hours talking, thinking, discerning. Our worship team and leaders, our sound, visual setup, coffee, ushers, everyone on Sundays who gives, 
our wings people, those who have served over the years, those who have provided leadership, those who are supporting, those who make meals for people when they need meals. Thank you. You have no idea what a blessing it is when I show up at someone's home and they've gone through a hard time of being in the hospital and they say, no, so-and-so has been here. We're okay. Thank God for our youth leaders, those who have served and our teens. We thank God for our kids' leaders and the kids that bring such a freshness to our church. I thank God for those of you who come to prayer time and for those of you who pray faithfully when we set out messages and requests on the prayer chain, for small group leaders, for participants, and for all who consider this community be their home. Let me just say this. You are not valued because of what you do. You are valued because of who you are. But thank you for what you do. And then a special thanks to Milena. She keeps me on track. She bugs me when I've missed deadlines. She makes sure that we have the information we need, and she's done a great job. And to Jeff, who is a partnering ministry with me, who loves the church and already loves you, I give a special word of thanks. To my wife, who endures the ups and downs of living with me, her faithfulness to the Lord and her faithfulness to my family. And to our kids, I am privileged to be your pastor. I'm privileged to serve you. And I pray that God would continue to anoint me to be who he wants me and needs me to be, that I would serve you to the best of my abilities. Let us pray. Lord Jesus, thank you so much for the gift of your church, for its people. I thank you today for what you are doing in our midst. And I pray in particular for those who are visiting with us to them. Maybe some of what I've said did not really mean much. They don't know us. But I do pray that even in this message, your word would have gone out and spoken truth to hearts, encourage those who need encouragement. I pray that as we connect to you, you would bring a greater sense of unity amongst us, that you would bring us uh, the desired purpose and vision for our church, and that in every way we would bring glory to you. We ask this in Jesus' mighty name. Amen.